First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of NFP, the fifth largest insurance broker in the world, combining local expertise with access to global capabilities and solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. Nineteen ninety-five, Red Square and the Victory Day Parade, a time of uncertainty and transformation in Russia. Northern Indiana born and bred Nate Feltman was working in Russia, cutting his teeth in the business world. A global experience that served him well a decade later, when under Feltman's watch as Indiana Secretary of Commerce, Japan-based Honda set up shop building cars in Greensburg. From Hoosiers cranking out cars in Decatur County, to manufacturing aircraft engines at Rolls-Royce in Indianapolis, to producing coffee creamer at Nestle in Anderson, Nate Feldman has had a hand in it all. Join us for a conversation with a man who's made a big mark in Indiana business, IBJ Media CEO, publisher, and co-owner, Nate Feldman, my guest on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Nate Feltman was raised in northern Indiana, in Mishawaka, the son of an endodontist. His dad is still in practice today. He graduated from Penn High School, went on to Indiana University, where he graduated with a B.A. in political science from the Kelly School of Business, then earned a law degree, not just any law degree, one in Russian law from the IU McKinney School of Law. He spent nearly four years in Russia with an international law firm in the mid-90s, helping companies from around the globe set up shop. Nate eventually came back to the U.S. He spent time practicing law in Chicago before then-Governor Mitch Daniels named him Indiana Secretary of Commerce in 2006. Nate played a key role in bringing the Honda plant to Greensburg, the Nestle plant to Anderson. He left government two years later and went into the healthcare business. Now he's CEO and co-owner of IBJ Media, the parent company of Inside Indiana Business, a partnership that combines 60 years of business news coverage in the state. Local media ownership, deeply important to Nate Feltman. You know, I'm just a huge believer that local ownership makes such a huge difference. It's going to be phenomenal to have you know, this, our, our companies together and really uh, Hoosiers focused on, on, on Hoosiers and having a reliable, credible source of information, of course, within the business sector, the political and government sectors. And uh, I believe that's incredibly important uh, to, to, to maintain. And it is a real treat to be joined by Nate Feltman, the co-owner and CEO of IBJ Media. Uh, Nate, welcome. Uh, you are a busy guy. It's uh, great to have you sit down for a few minutes for a little discussion. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Appreciate being here with you. You know, you have bought and sold businesses. You've had a law career, former Secretary of Commerce. And I should mention one of the businesses you bought was Grow Indiana Media Ventures at Inside Indiana Business. And we're proud to be a part, a division of uh, IBJ Media now. What, what, what interested you in the media business. Well, hopefully that'll be the best acquisition yet, right? <laughs> I like that, uh, yeah. Partnering with you to do fun and, and new things together as we uh, 
go forward. Um, what what uh, got me into media? Uh, it was uh, not something I had planned on ever doing. I practiced mm-hmm. law, as, as you mentioned, uh, for quite some time. Was an M and A lawyer with a couple mm-hmm. of firms here in town and overseas. And uh, what I knew for sure is I wanted to be in business. I didn't know the business, and I, I had careers in a couple of different areas: healthcare uh, initially, and then um, and then media, among other yeah. things. But um, I, I always had a great respect for the media, and I began to develop that respect when I worked with Governor Daniels as Secretary of Commerce because I had to deal with the media quite a bit. And, and uh, as I did that, I, I, my respect for media grew, and, um, and then a, a guy named Mickey Maurer rubbed off on me a little bit, too. So that factored into the story. Yeah. And, you know, you have a global perspective throughout your career, but there's also a very strong Indiana connection in so much of what you're doing. You're a native Hoosier uh, as well. But I know part of your acquisition or a big part of your acquisition and acquisition of, of Grow Indiana Media Ventures is that local ownership piece. That's right. really, really important to you. Yeah, I, um, like you said, you know, I grew up in Northern Indiana in uh, South Bend and Mishawaka. And, you know, I, I, when I left uh, the state, which I did after college and, and spent time overseas, I always knew that I wanted to come back to Indiana. There was something special that drew me back and, 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 and I knew I wanted to be, come back for. And uh, there are a lot of parts of that. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about what, what makes Indiana special. But absolutely, you know, another thing I, I learned from some of my mentors, and those mentors include Mitch Daniels and, and Mickey Maurer, is just how important local ownership is uh, for the growth and longevity of, of, a, of any company. And so that's been important to me. And, and being in Indiana has always been important to me. Obviously, media ownership has, has gone away from local ownership in so many ways. Big corporate ownership is somewhat of the, the rule of the day. And not to say there aren't good situations uh, there in some of those corporate situations, but do, do you think communities around the state of Indiana have, in a sense, suffered somewhat because of that lack of local ownership, that lack of attention to local issues? Well, there's no doubt in my mind that that's the case. And it's really not just my mind. I mean, I, I as you do, travel around the state, talk to people in communities where their newspaper, for example, is no longer under local ownership and things have changed. And, um, and that's not just limited to the news business. I mean, it's, it's really any, yeah. I, I, I have sold companies uh, in the healthcare space in particular to national, international mm-hmm. outfits. And there's just something different when decision makers aren't local, they're not as engaged in the community. They're not, you're not running into them at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not banking with them. They're banking somewhere else. Local ownership means a lot in terms of community engagement. And that's why, of course, uh, you know, when uh, in my Secretary of Commerce days, we always wanted to land headquarters. And yeah. and we always uh, are really careful in this state, of course, not to lose headquarters because it's that CEO and executive team and all their employees engagement in the community that means so much to to any community. So the news business is no different. You you got a really, I think, great perspective on the economic landscape of Indiana when you served as Secretary of Commerce, succeeding one of your mentors, Mickey Maurer, in the Daniels administration. As you look back on that experience, what was that like? I mean, it, certainly initially, was it an eye opener? Did you learn things you didn't know about Indiana as you traveled yeah. around the state? Uh, it was all of the above. It was yeah. absolutely an eye opener. And I learned a great deal about our state and went to places I'd never been. Um, I don't think I had been to Evansville. When you grew up in 
South yep. Bend, um, the very north of the state. Um, you don't hear a lot about what's going on in places like Evansville or Terre Haute, for that matter. Um, of course, I spent time in Bloomington. But that was a college student. I don't right. remember most of that. <laughs> but but uh, you, you simply um, you learn so much and you find out what's going on from a business standpoint in every community around the state, small towns, uh, larger, larger cities. And it is it was the most rewarding professional, mm-hmm. one of the certainly most rewarding professional experiences I ever had because you truly and this is the case anytime someone uh, is is willing to serve in any public capacity, you, you get an opportunity to really feel like you're making an impact and you're making mm-hmm. a difference. And there are lots of deals um, that we worked on at that time that you, you really knew that, but for the efforts of our governor and our team at the IEDC, simply they don't happen. And uh, that those are the ones that are the most special. Not all of them, you can say, f- right. fit into that category. But when you know you made a difference, it's one of the most rewarding feelings uh, on behalf of Hoosiers. It's one of the yeah. most rewarding feelings you can have. In your view, how important was the creation of the Indiana Economic Development Corporation? Because I think it might yeah. have been Mitch Daniels' first yeah. first bill he signed, I, I think. But anyways, a big, big change in the way Indiana it did It was a sea change. We had, of course, the Indiana Department of Commerce, like most states. And the it was a really big deal for a lot of reasons. I mean, the the, the one that was often stated is that, you know, we needed to be able to move at the speed government. In this case, needed to move at the speed of business and uh, couldn't do that under the the prior iteration. Uh, mm-hmm. And so creating the new Indiana Economic Development Corporation to, to allow private sector ideas and private sector, the way, the way you run a company, like be part of the culture and in terms of recruiting people, in terms of being responsive to, to businesses and, and their needs and trying to recruit new businesses to the state, uh, it was really, really critical. And, and the most important part of that really was that for the first time in really ever, the, the economic development responsibility fell under the governor for the first time. It was always the lieutenant governor lieutenant, right. uh, who was responsible under the Department of Commerce, reported directly to the lieutenant governor. That was a C shift, and Mitch really wanted that most importantly. He wanted to have the opportunity to really contribute as a, as a governor directly in economic development. And when you're the chairman of the board of the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, you get to participate directly. And, of course, he and, and subsequent governors have really made economic development one of their key initiatives and being willing to do whatever it takes to go to keep our businesses, grow our businesses, and then go after new ones. So it, it was it was it was a sea change really. And they also set up a foundation mm-hmm. uh, that had not been there before, which allowed us to go out to private companies and and have them uh, donate to help fund some of our economic mm-hmm. development activities, like for example, mission trips to yeah. to uh, Asia and elsewhere. Any high I'm sure there were multiple highlights, but in that role you mentioned mission trips, you traveled around the globe, every corner of the state, the United States, anything that stands out to you during, in, in your tenure? As yeah, I, you know, there, there are so many. And before I was Secretary of Commerce, I, w- I started right at the beginning of Mitch's first term. I served as uh, Executive Vice President and General Counsel. And, and you know, the, that first two years, the biggest one was the Honda, Honda oh, yeah, announcement sure. in Greensburg. And uh, I can remember being on a plane back from Japan uh, when we got the got the news, uh, the governor had had flown ahead of us because he'd got the news uh, first. Was told to keep it incredibly confidential. It was uh, 
it was a big, big deal. But then when I was Secretary of Commerce, there are a couple that come to mind. Uh, Nestle uh, is, was, was a big one and continued to have, to have expanded. You know, there's a hometown one that I'm probably most proud about, and that's uh, WellPoint had basically already moved forward with beginning to put uh, what became Express Grips in Ohio. And uh, this is one where, you know, the governor and myself and my team, we knew we made a difference because they actually made a decision to reverse that and put wow. the huge, now it went, that became Medco and, mm-hmm. and, and something else. But that decision was critical. And that was a lot of pharma jobs that would have gone to Ohio, but for us working hard to, to turn the corner there. A lot has changed, certainly, in the decade plus since you were Secretary of Commerce, much of it positive. But uh, I was really interested uh, recently to hear the comments of, uh, of Lilly CEO Dave Ricks uh, at the Economic Club of Indiana. I know he appeared on the sh- uh, Inside Indiana Business shortly after that and, and talked about doing business in Indiana. He talked about the fact that Indiana does well on some of the traditional metrics when it comes to economic development, but that some of these newer metrics, K-12 education, upskilling workforce, healthcare, we fall short. And he talked about big investment that Lilly has made outside of Indiana right. in places like North Carolina, Boston, and elsewhere. Right. And that resonated with you too, right? Yeah. I, uh, I wrote my column about it this week in the IBJ. And the thing that was you know, interesting to me, and I think to everybody in the room at the Economic Club uh, a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't that we heard for the first time that we are mm-hmm. uh, challenged as Hoosiers and, and public health funding and that we're not the healthiest and um, our hospital prices are higher than, than some states and need to work on reskilling our workforce. I mean, and our educational attainment levels are not as well as we'd like them in terms of our rankings. None of those things were new. What was new and 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 surprising and 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 I think in a very good way was you had the CEO of Eli Lilly saying and admitting that it was these these uh, uh, I, these these things were falling short on that caused he and the Lilly team to put a major investments, billion plus dollar investments, and thousands of jobs in another state. When I was going back to my secretary of Commerce days. When I was Secretary of Commerce, uh, you wouldn't get any CEO to really tell you the real reasons is rare. The mm-hmm. real reasons of why they didn't choose to either grow their jobs, more of them in Indiana, or choose another state. To have the Lilly CEO and Lilly, of course, having you know over a hundred years of uh, in, in, incredible uh, story in this state and creation of the Lilly Endowment, uh, Elanco, which just broke ground mm-hmm. in downtown. Corteva as a, as a spinoff uh, also uh, was of, of Lilly. We're talking, you know, one of the biggest impacts of any of any company and continuing in this state mm-hmm. to have that CEO be very blunt and honest about the reason why billions of dollars and, and thousands of jobs did not come to Indiana. That was the big surprise. And I think that's a, a great sign that our corporate leadership is willing to uh, be blunt and honest about where we come short instead of, you know, a lot of times, you know, you see and know that CEOs are kind of patting each other in the back or patting government leaders on the back and, and saying everything's great. Well, um, you know, we, we can, we can go that direction, but we'll be selling ourselves short if we don't, you know, not only try to compete to be the best in the Midwest, which oftentimes we tout, but we, we got to do better than the best in the Midwest. We want to be the best in the country and, and one of the best in the world. And uh, to get the 
huge pharma companies and life science companies and all the other industries, we want the, the best jobs, the most high paying jobs. I, I really thought it was awesome that he was mm-hmm. candid and gave, you know, Indiana, frankly, the, the recipe uh, that we need in order to go after the, the jobs of the future. So it was that was very refreshing in that regard. And I'm told that Lily is going to take that message out on the road and have Dave Ricks talk more about that. Would you like to see other high-profile CEOs do the same thing? Because as I, I think you're, you would agree, really makes a difference. I would. Uh, it's a good question. And, and I would love to see, from my perspective, and uh, there are a lot of others who, who uh, I speak with who feel the same way, this isn't just the responsibility of government. And frankly, government can't and doesn't have the resources, the organization, the the wherewithal to do all the things that we need to do in the areas that uh, he mentioned and I mentioned earlier, healthcare and education and workforce development and and energy and clean energy. I mean, government simply doesn't, ha- it's not an apparatus that is is uh, made to be able to make such headway. And therefore, it's my feeling, and, and I know others share it, that we got to have our, our CEOs, both large, midsize, and even small companies, really explain uh, and and push, you know, uh, 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 not just not just the legislature, not just the governor, um, because as I mentioned, that's not, but, but actually push, but then participate engage, yeah. engage, like engage deeply in ideas that can lead to improvement in those areas. It won't, it can't just come from government. It's going to have to come from the private sector, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the philanthropic sector and others. Yeah. Hey, one more uh, on Dave Rick's comments, because he talked about inclusive economic growth, saying it's not just in terms of racial and ethnic yeah. diversity, which is important, but also rural areas around the state and getting everyone engaged in economic development. Yeah, that. so there's so many aspects to it when he uses the word inclusive, and I think he means all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's not only for minority groups. It's like you said, it's rural communities, but it's also being a welcoming state to immigrants. And, you know, now more than ever, you know, companies are suffering from a labor shortage. And now more than ever, we need to figure out how we can be a destination for immigrants. We had Afghan Afghanis who were recently brought to Indiana, I think some of whom decide to stay in Indiana. We have Ukrainians who are leaving in record numbers, uh, of course, uh, with the war in Ukraine. And, um, you know, we need to be a place where people from outside our country want to come and raise a family and, and have opportunity. And, uh, you know, that's an area that we got to keep on working on as well. Much more with Nate Feltman when we return, what it was like growing up in South Bend and Mishawaka, a law career that included four years in Russia and a lot more. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of National Financial Partners, the fifth largest insurance broker and consultant in the world. Develop your total reward strategies all in one place with the combination of First Person's local expertise and NFP's global resources and integrated solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Nate Feltman, 
the co-owner and CEO of IBJ uh, Media. And Nate, you are a, a native Hoosier, right? Northern Indiana? Right. Absolutely. Grew up in uh, South Bend originally and, and moved over just to the next street over to Mishawaka and uh, spent a lot of time growing up, of course, in Northern Indiana. What was growing up uh, in Northern Indiana like for Nate? It was good. It was yeah. good. You know, um, you know, we didn't really know what was going on in Indianapolis that much, but we paid a lot of attention to Chicago and yeah. I was a big, you, Cubs, I was a big feel, Cubs fan. Yeah, did you feel more connected to Chicago? Yeah, in many ways? yeah, more connected to Chicago. Both my grandfathers were big Cubs fans. So I was a WGN guy sure. uh, watching the Cubs growing up and became a baseball fan that way. Uh, I had relatives in Indianapolis, so I'd make trips once in a while to Indianapolis. But oftentimes, you know, when you get to South Bend or Evansville, uh, you, you feel kind of disconnected from what's going on in Indianapolis. So I didn't always feel tied yeah. to Indianapolis for sure. Now, your dad what is still an endodontist, He is right? an endodontist and, in and, South and Bend. I was yeah. told, you know, a guy like that's given root canals, but his his MO, his reputation was root canals that were painless. Yeah. You want to hear a funny story <laughs> sure. about that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, you know, become Secretary of Commerce with Mitch Daniels and um, I'm with Senator Donnelly. And uh, I introduced myself. He said, oh, yeah, I, I know you. I know you via your dad because I sat in his chair getting a root canal. <laughs> and your dad said, hey, do you know my son, Nate Feltman, uh, down in Indianapolis? And and uh, I said, he shook, you know, I kind of yeah. said, oh, yeah, you know, with, with my mouth, uh, his hands in my mouth. And my dad said, what do you think of him? And, of course, can't respond when he's got his mouth wide open. And afterwards, he said, what did you think I was going to say? What you had, you know, drilling in my mouth? I uh, didn't like him. <laughs> so, oh, uh, so yeah, my scary. dad, my most of the people in South Bend and beyond have been in my uh, dad's uh, dental chair because he's been doing it for a long time. That's good. What what were your interests? Sports? Were you, were you I, a bookworm? What was uh, your... a little bit of both? Yeah. I, I played tennis in high school and uh, and and loved loved uh, that opportunity to play. I played tennis at yeah. Penn went to Penn High School, sure. the Kingsmen. Yeah. Kingsmen, yeah. And, um, you know, they're more known for football than anything else. Although um, I think the other schools down here have gotten the better of them of late. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was also interested in what was going on in the world and paid a lot of attention uh, to world events kind of as a young person in high school. And in particular, I got very curious about what was happening with the, you know, the Soviet Union at mm -hmm. that time, the Cold War, I became intrigued. And um, and that led me to when I did go yeah. to college down in Bloomington to uh, to, to study Russian language and, and, and then beyond. Yeah. yeah, we'll want to talk about your time in Russia in a minute. But you mentioned IU. You know, you grew up in the shadow of Notre Dame. Was that ever a consideration or were you always going to be an IU guy? I, uh, you, you, it's hard either in, in South Bend. You either love Notre Dame football in particular right. or or there's some that really don't. Right. Uh, but I was I grew up a, a fan, a mm -hmm. football fan. We'd go to the games. But for some reason, I, I know the reason I was brainwashed as a as a child, like from the very beginning that uh, IU was the place. And uh, and I think it had a lot to do with how great IU basketball was at the time. They yeah. won the national championship my junior year. So 1987, I remember watching that game and I remember going down to, to IU to visit that, that year as well. I knew all along, I applied to one school and uh, both it. my parents went to IU and I knew I was going there as well. I know you're still a, a, a huge uh, IU sports fan, in particular basketball, right? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned 87. That's probably their last. That's their last, that was the last national championship. championship. Yeah. So do they have the guy in, in Mike Woodson? You think he's the guy to I take him is. back to the promise? Line? I think he is. You know, he's only had one year to recruit, but this recruiting class apparently is number five in the nation, number one in the Big Ten. So 
Um, I like what I, I think a lot of Hoosier fans liked what they saw this first yeah. year and uh, think he can take us to yeah. uh, to uh, much better things in the years ahead. So I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of him and his style, uh, his no nonsense style, mm-hmm. and uh, you know a little little uh, reminiscent of a guy of the general uh, Bobby yeah. Knight. And so uh, you know I'm I'm partial a little bit there, yeah. uh, but in any event, I think I think good things ahead. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you get a degree from IU undergrad, uh, Kelly School of Business. Got your law degree from IU. Then began practicing right after graduating in Russia, right? Yeah. So I I was uh, fortunate enough to be in the Soviet Union in 1990 as an undergrad student. And I got the bug. When I went to Russia, it was like no place uh Soviet Union. It was like no place on earth at that point. And uh, I was became so fascinated just by the history, the culture, and change in the air. Gorbachev right. was in power. He and Reagan were meeting and having summits. And uh, I took an arms control class at IU and uh, learned what MAD, MAD means, mutually assured destruction, and thought, just like the rest of the world, that this can't last forever. And it didn't. And I, so I, I went back uh, at my summer in law school in 1994 and went back in 95 after I graduated law school and did a master's in Russian law and began working. I got the opportunity of, of, of uh, a lifetime in my, from my perspective at that time, which was to work for a very well-known international law firm called mm-hmm. Baker and McKenzie. And I stayed there from, from 95 to 98. And uh, it, that was a time of amazing change and the thought and hope, and it felt like uh, an opportunity for a different kind of Russia. The nineties really were the decade of, it felt like democracy could take root. Certainly the market economy began to take root. And so I had a wonderful experience and ton of stories and we won't have time to tell them here. Uh, but um, amazing experience and uh, honed my Russian language skills after spending a lot of time there. What, what was it like? I mean, I, I can't imagine what that would have been like to really immerse yourself and actually live there for it, four years. Yeah, I mean, um, it's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. Um, there are great books out there that you could you can kind of get a feel. But when people say it was the wild, wild west, that, that's really, I mean, that's really, really true. I mean, it was capitalism without rules, uh, because it was all, all things. There, there was a war over the assets of Russia. Everything had been owned by the government. All of a sudden, everything's privatized. So there really was a war. Bankers were being, Russian bankers were being shot on a regular basis. And so, you know, for, you know, not too many Americans and foreigners who were, who were there at the time, you know, there was a tight expat community. And um, and every day was interesting. Literally every day there were new, especially for a lawyer, every day there was a new law passed and trying to understand it and translate it into English and and help our, we, we represented mostly foreign companies that were coming to Russia for the first mm-hmm. time. So I did work with Ford Motor Company who was setting up plants and actually setting up a dealership network and setting up Ford credit and Russians hadn't yeah. had credit. So first time ever. And that that was heady stuff for a guy who just graduated from law school. It, it was, and you and you're seeing change right before your eyes. I mean, you're seeing, you know, good things and bad things about that. You see older Russians struggling, uh, who didn't have the a means to quickly flip mm-hmm. to a market economy, didn't speak English, couldn't work, you know, very well with some of the new companies that were coming in. And then you saw a lot of young Russians who were who were learning English quickly and taking advantage of the new opportunities. So it was it was a dynamic environment and one of the and from my perspective, the most interesting place in the world at yeah, that time. I'd be interested in your perspective today, given that connection you have to Russia. Yeah. It's um, you know, unfortunately, this has been something that, you know, uh, people who have paid attention to Russia and, and paid attention to Putin and his history 
he, he came into power in 2000 at the turn of the millennium. He came into power. Yeltsin stepped down and a deal was made with, with he and Yeltsin. And unfortunately, you know, it's, um, it's, it's an awful situation that's not going to get better anytime soon. If anybody is interested in really understanding kind of how we got to where we are and some of the amazing, you know, especially from a business and government perspective, you know, why we are where we are. There's two great books by the same author that, that I'll, I'll tout because they're, they're, you can't, they're thrillers, but they're real life thrillers. And I know some of the players personally in the, and one is, it's, it's, a, it's a book by Bill Browder called Red Notice. He was a, he was a uh, capitalist, uh, set up a, a private equity fund in Russia in the early days. And there's a new one he just came out with that brings us to present day called Freezing Order, um, again, by Bill mm-hmm. Browder. If you want to, you want real life thrillers and the understanding of what life was like uh, in the 90s and, and all the way up to present day, those are two, two great books by the same author telling a real life story. Yeah. Came back to, to the U.S., served as Secretary of Commerce here in Indiana, of course, and got into business, uh, yeah. uh, including Home Health Depot. What was that experience like in that, uh, that business? Oh, it, was, it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was my first opportunity to be an owner uh, with a really good friend that I, that I uh, went into business with. And, you know, when you're a lawyer, you can look at documents and you can talk mm-hmm. to your clients and you hear and you try to advise on all the things that matter from a business and legal perspective. But actually owning a business is, is totally different. Something I always wanted to do and experience. Uh, so we grew Home Health Depot from, you know, 20 or so employees and, and, and grew it all the way up to 250 employees in about a seven year period, did five acquisitions. And uh, then we sold the business in 2017. Very rewarding, learned a ton, and uh, it was a, it was a great opportunity to to grow. And we grew uh, not only in Indiana but in mm-hmm. five other states. In your view, people talk about what makes Indiana special. Your 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 experiences, your background, uh, both in the the business world as Secretary of Commerce and and elsewhere, give you I think unique perspective. What is it in your view that makes Indiana a a, a good place? Faces challenges, no, yeah. no question about it but a special place to, to, to do business and raise a family. Yeah. I mean, there it's, sometimes we have a hard time actually as, as Hoosiers uh, just actually trying to capture that, that question. But in my view, Indiana, the, the ease of getting to know people and to get to the people that you want to get to know and the opportunity to mentor the openness that uh, people have in business community and, and not just the business community have in this community and, 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 the support that I think a lot of, of young people get. It's that openness, collaboration, as you know, uh, the history of collaboration, especially in, in central Indiana is, is, a, is a great one. It leads to, to great and positive outcomes. And there are a lot of people that you know, you've had on your podcast who tell the, those stories and uh, they're real. So I, I would put that in, how do you capture that in a soundbite? And that's we, what we've all struggled with uh, through the years. But of course we have great universities, mm-hmm. Uh, we have great cities. It's um, now figuring out how do we compete, you know, with all the other great cities in, in this country and beyond to to have people choose choose Indiana. Yeah. How do you think Indiana is positioned? Again, we talked about those challenges that Dave Ricks brought up. They exist to be sure. But how do you think Indiana is posi- positioned? There's going to be a the first ever Indiana Global Economic mm-hmm. Summit mm-hmm. coming up uh, around race weekend. Is Indiana as well positioned as some people say it is to compete? I think so. I mean, we, we clearly have the challenges, you know, mm-hmm. wh- whether it's educational attainment, whether it's retooling of our workforce, 
Um, but we have advantages that a lot of states are incredibly envious of. I mean, I mentioned universities, but, you know, the life science sector, you know, of course, Lilly, but also in Warsaw, the orthopedic companies and and, uh, and, and the manufacturing heritage in our state, um, we can use, at, you know, we've often talked about it in the past, the past many decades as potentially a liability. I actually think we now have the opportunity to make that a huge asset. When we think about the challenges ahead, uh, you know, whether it's Lilly, Cummins, Toyota, it doesn't matter the the, the company. the The challenge of of the um, uh, supply chain uh, <laughs> the issues, whether it's you know it, you know the future with China, um, the the pandemic we just went through. Um, the, there's a huge unshoring opportunity over the next decade that is real. And people are talking about that. And Indiana is, I think, one of the best position given our manufacturing heritage and giving all the alignment with our education and, and our workforce to be the beneficiary of that. Yeah. And, and, and really, and, and, and they can and, and will be higher paying jobs in the future because they're all advancing, you know, yeah. in terms of what's required to, to be at a, a high tech manufacturing facility. So, there are a lot of reasons I think to be optimistic, and and I, going back to one of them is you know we're we're a in some ways a, a big little city, and right. that that plays above have historically played above our weight class, and the that comes from collaboration between government, private sector, philanthropic sector, and when when those all those sectors collaborate and really say hey these are the goals that we have to hit and be and we're more specific about what those are we usually have achieved those goals and and it's time for us to kind of pick pick our we can't be great at everything you know you, if you you can drown in a sea but if you can be pretty specific about here are the things we want we want to for example we want to get really really good at retaining graduates and do it better than anybody else in in the country uh, there are so many strategies to doing that but if we all work together on that i bet we could i bet we can tackle it and do well yeah What's next for Nate Feldman? I know you've got big plans uh, here at the IBJ and excited to be a uh, part of that a as well. You've got you and your wife, Joanne, have a couple of young kids who are in travel sports. Yeah. So you're a busy guy. I really mean, busy. probably the travel sports are as busy as the the It's <laughs> just about. Yeah. Uh, anybody who's got kids who are, yeah. uh, you know, involved in sports and, and especially travel sports knows what that's like. But uh, there's not a lot of free time. But I enjoy a lot of hobbies and, um, you know, I happen to. Also be in the liquor store business with a couple of partners. And uh, so we've got uh, some growth on that area too. But as you know, from working together, IBJ Media and the opportunities around the state of Indiana to grow our business are, are really taking the bulk of my time. And, uh, and I'm enjoying it, working yeah. with you and working with the team here at the IBJ Media. We've, we've got huge opportunities to, to be helpful in connecting our cities and people throughout our state and not being as many information gaps, you know, if you're growing up in Evansville or South Bend and knowing exactly what's going on, have a shared da data platform that everybody can um, can access, I think is, is critical. And telling the great stories that you've been doing, you know, for 24 years, doing it even on a wider and deeper basis throughout the state gets my engine going. And so um, that's uh, where I, I plan to spend the bulk of my time for quite, quite some time. Good. Nate Feldman, the co-owner and CEO of IBJ Media. Nate, uh, great to sit down and uh, just kind of take it easy for a few minutes and, yeah. and discuss. Enjoy thanks, it. thanks for all you do for Indiana as well. Oh, thank you for you the same. All right. Appreciate it, Gary. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, 
entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of the episodes of the podcast and get Indiana Business News 24-7 at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.